And uh, while uh, they are receiving the offering and while you're giving, I have a question that I would like for you to think about for about Attend any event, a concert, a sporting event, a political event, a, uh, a religious ceremony. If you could hear anyone speak, if you could watch anyone perform, who would it be or where would you go? Coldplay, all right? Disneyland, okay? That's it? What's that? Billy Joel, okay? Belgium? Okay, there you go. Man, I'd just say somewhere warm right now, wouldn't you? Anywhere else you you would want to go? Okay, Augusta. Okay, let, let's think about this for a minute. If you were to go to Coldplay, we got a lot of, obviously, concert music people, but if you were to go to Coldplay or, uh, or Billy Joel or something like that, where would you want your seats to be? Front row, right? We'd want front row center, right? If you were going to the Super Bowl, where would you want your seats to be? Sideline, there you go, up front. 50-yard line, skybox, right? Something like that. If you're going to a baseball game, which I love baseball, you know where I love to sit? Behind home plate, right? One or two rows in is perfect because then you can see everything going on. And as a former catcher, you really get a feel for the game when you're sitting back there, right? If you're going to a concert, you want the front row center or better yet, backstage passes, right? Isn't that what we want? Because when we go to these events, when we go to these activities, what we want are the best seats in the house. And and so we want to be able to see and experience everything. And and that's just kind of our our human nature. Uh, This desire for us to have the best seat in the house kind of reveals itself in various situations. Have you ever found yourself in a parking lot watching people park? Because the spots that are closest to the store are the ones everyone wants, right? I have seen, because oftentimes I'll drop Michelle off at the door, and so I don't have to go in, drop her off the door, and then I go out to the, you know, the nether regions, you kind of watch for her to walk out the door. And you see people coming, and they're trying to get their parking spots near the front. Man, there are wrecks sometimes. People are jockeying for position. They pull up and turn on their blinker, and then they're like easing in. That some of you, I'm sure, do that as well, right? We, those, those are the spots that we want. Uh, people line up before a movie premiere, premiere uh, before a general admission event, so they can have the best seats, so they can get their choice seats. Um, whenever we have those choice seats, we can brag about them too, right? Hey, guess what? Guess what I have? I have Skybox tickets for the Chiefs-Eagles Super Bowl, Right? We can all dream, right? And you would be jealous, right, if I had those tickets. You would, you would want to you know, be my friend finally. But um, what about here at church, right? What is the, the most coveted seat here in the church building? To me, this is a, this is a funny one because uh, each of you kind of has your own personal preference, don't you? And, and what's funny is if you're a regular here, you kind of have your seat, Right? And if someone's in your seat, sometimes you don't know what to do with that. You're like, uh, 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 right? So if you're new here and you're in someone's seat, they'll get over it. So just, they'll be fine. Uh, the church I grew up in, there were these unspoken assigned seats. And maybe you can relate to this. As my mom led worship 
And as my dad usually was helping with communion, I sat with my grandparents, second pew from the back, right-hand side, near the stained glass window, grandpa, me, grandma. That's where we sit, because those were our seats. Uh, Oftentimes in church, I know that the most coveted seat in the church, the ones that people arrive early to make sure they have, are the back row. Now, that's not true for you, Bob. I know. You're always up here. And I, you know, I appreciate that. But, but most of the time, it, it's, it's the back row. The desire for the best seat, it, it really happens all the time. Diplomatic ne- negotiation teams spend a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of money in order to get the seating just right so that visiting dignitaries are afforded their proper honor by placing them in exactly the right place. And a misstep in that situation could uh, mean difficulties for countries, between countries, for a very long time. This desire for honor was really huge in the first century. And making sure you were in the right seat, so to speak, was, was a big deal as well. In the Gospel of Mark, we find two of Jesus' disciples, uh, James and John, they're kind of arguing about getting the best seat. And in Mark chapter 10, in verses 36 and 37, Jesus asked them, uh, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other one at your left in glory. They wanted the best seats in the kingdom, right? They wanted those backstage passes. They wanted the honor, the prestige. It's just kind of a natural thing for us to desire. And Jesus understood this desire. And he wanted to teach them how in his kingdom, things are going to be different. And so I invite you to grab your Bible, if you would, and turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at chapter 14 verses 7 through 11 in just a few moments. If you're reaching for a blue Bible, it's on page 739. And if you have a blue Bible you're not using, you might make sure the people around you uh, don't need one of those as well. Uh, As you're grabbing that and turning there, I want to give you just a little bit of context as to what's going on in this text. Um, In in verse 1, we see that Jesus had been invited to eat um, with this group of people at the house of a prominent Pharisee, and it is the Sabbath day. It appears to have been one of those meals that's attended by the who's who of the religious elite in in that circle, specifically the Pharisees. But they didn't invite Jesus because they liked him. The text tells us that Jesus was being carefully watched. He was being carefully watched. They were keeping an eye on him. And one way to translate that phrase is they were watching intently with a sinister motive. They were watching Jesus. Which is interesting because when Jesus arrives, he's found that before him is a man who is suffering from what the NIV calls dropsy. Now, dropsy is a condition that causes abnormal swelling in the body due to fluid buildup. And this condition causes terrible pain, especially in the connective tissue. And at this time, there was no known cure. Now, this man would not have been one of the invited guests to this dinner party. He would have been one of the onlookers. Uh, the best way I can kind of, uh, kind of say that it's like what we have is when, you know, we, people line up to watch celebrities walk through, right, taking pictures and doing that thing. Kind of the same thing. P.T. Butler says it this way, it was a custom of those days to allow the poor and curious, that would be us, right, to enter the courtyards of the rich and be spectators at formal dinners and feasts. So the Pharisees saw this guy uh, that, that had dropsy and made sure that he was placed directly in front of Jesus so they could see what Jesus would do. Jesus would then be forced to choose. Would he ignore the man and contradict his reputation for compassion? Or would he heal the man on the Sabbath day, which was a big deal, and add to the accusations that the Pharisees already had against him? 
Well, Jesus, he heals the man. And if you look at verse 6, it says that the Pharisees had nothing to say. Jesus heals him, and they had nothing to say. Why do you think the Pharisees had this reaction? I think they had nothing to say because what do you say when someone puts the needs of the individual before the man-made rules? What do you say when you realize your own hypocrisy because had it been your son or someone that you loved and cared about, you would have wanted them healed? What do you say when the grace from Jesus trumps the judgment that you proudly exhibit? What do you say? I think the Pharisees responded the only way they could. They had nothing to say. Then Jesus observed what was happening as the guests were coming in and to sit down for the meal. He, he noticed how people were sizing each other up and jockeying for position at the head table. Uh, the places of honor were quickly filling up and the most coveted seats. And in this case, it was the ones that were closest to the host. The closer to the host that you were able to, to be seated, the more prominent, the more important that you consider you were considered to be and Jesus seizes this opportunity as he often does in his every ordinary life that that he was uh, living with the disciples and he gave us a kingdom lesson look with me at verse 7 of chapter 14 in the gospel of Luke it says this when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor or at the table he told them this parable when someone invites you to a wedding feast do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host will, who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host come, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." Yeah, a couple weeks ago we talked about the importance of how we need to be sure we keep in mind the larger context of Jesus' ministry. He has, from the very beginning, said that God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, things are different. In his kingdom, the first are last, and the last are first. The high are made low, and the low are made high. The hungry are fed, and those who are usually full are sent away empty. The lowly are made proud, the proud are made lowly. And, and Jesus is proclaiming in, in many different ways that the revolutionary kingdom is not based on power or might, but instead it's based on weakness and it's based on vulnerability. And this is so countercultural to what we experience here today because as we discussed, we don't like to be weak and we don't like to be vulnerable. We like to be powerful and we like to be in control. But in the kingdom that God is talking about through Jesus, this is where the, the ill are welcomed and the poor are valued, where the sinners are forgiven. And this type of, of kingdom runs about as contrary to the kingdom of the world as you can imagine. In this kingdom, Jesus said, but when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place, then you will be honored in the presence of of all your fellow guests. Jesus is really conveying a thought that is found in Proverbs chapter 25, verses 6 and 7, where it says, Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among great men. It is better for him to say to you, Come up here, than for him to humili humiliate you before a nobleman. Now, on the surface, they, this may look like Jesus has just kind of uh, given us some, some practical advice, right? Some social guidelines and, and things like that. 
But Jesus is giving us more than just advice. Jesus came to to reveal who God is and to usher in the kingdom of God. And so we ought to expect this kingdom, this message, this parable, to, to be beyond something that's just practical or social advice. I believe that Jesus is teaching the Pharisees specifically here uh, how he, he was trying to teach them to remove those petty regulations that they'd been teaching people to uh, observe. He, he sought to remove the idea that there's a certain law ad, ad, adhering way that you have to live your life in order to be accepted by God and viewed as religious. Jesus desired instead to convey the divine principles of the kingdom mindset. That's, that was his goal. That's what he was seeking. And while Jesus practically told them to resist uh, taking those high-honored seats and instead take the lowest-honored seats, obviously Jesus wasn't just talking about the seating arrangements at a wedding feast. He was talking about pride. He was talking about humility. He says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And and from this uh, parable, from this, I I think there's some kingdom lessons that we can learn as we kind of look at what it means to live in the kingdom. And I invite you to write a couple of these things down as we go through this. The the first thing I want to suggest it means to live in the kingdom is we need to look inside. We need to look at ourselves. It's important to realize that it really is normal and, and kind of natural for us to desire positions of significance and importance and power. And, and while that's true, I think it's also uh, difficult for us to really take a, a good, honest assessment of who we really are. For far too many of us, we either look at ourselves and we think of ourselves better than we are, or we go to the other extreme and we think of ourselves as not as worthy as we truly are. In our society today, self-promotion seems to be the norm, doesn't it? If you watch any sports at all and somebody does something good, what do they do? It's, you know, it's, it's all about me or, you know, pointing to the name on the jersey, right? I mean, it's, that's what people do. Uh, when you show up in the latest fashion or you, you make sure the video is leaked or you make sure it gets posted on social media or you hold a press conference, what are we saying? We're saying, it's all about me, And not much has changed since the time of Jesus. James and John wanted to be on Jesus' right and left. Uh, The Jews wanted to defeat Rome. The Pharisees wanted to have power. Pilate wanted to be in control. It was all about me. Red Sanders is credited with first saying what Vince Lombardi then made famous. Winning isn't everything. It's It's the only thing. Nothing else is acceptable. Everything else is disgraceful and that mindset seems to be very prevalent in our society today and yet in the kingdom of God if anyone wants to be first he must be the very last and the servant of all and that just doesn't sound right to us does it I mean that's not what you hear on a daily basis is it it's almost as if Jesus is telling us we need to kind of accept the demotivational poster that reads if at first you don't succeed then maybe failure is more your style, right? It's just, that's you. But being humble doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that you lack motivation or a desire to succeed. It doesn't mean that you're a doormat for other people to walk over. So what does it mean? I really like what C.S. Lewis said about humility. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And that's the mindset of the kingdom. It's a mindset that's probably not going to make it on any locker room walls. It's not going to make it in any of the, you know, the self-help books. And yet Jesus says, but when you are invited 
take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. In other words, if you force yourself into what is first and what is best and what is prestigious and what is honored, then you're going to be humbled. But if you're willing to take the last seat or the worst seat or to put others first, then you're going to be exalted. And so, kind of have to ask some questions for us to consider on this point. What do you think of yourself? What motivates you? What is it that you're seeking? What are those things you desire? What is, what is it that you really, really want? How much of your time do you really think about yourself? Self-preservation, self-promotion, self-fill-in-the-blank. Jesus is teaching that in his kingdom, he desires humility. And I think the question we have to wrestle with, not only today and Everything we're talking about in this series as we talk about the kingdom is do we want it? Do we? Jesus desires it, but, but do we want it? Second thing I want to suggest we, we need to, to think about it and what it means to live in the kingdom is we need to look outside. We need to look at others. Uh, one of the benefits of thinking outwardly is that it helps to build community. Jesus exhorts against pride because it makes community impossible to build. Uh, when a believer, uh, when you are a believer and people know that you care and people know that, that you genuinely are interested in them, they're going to be more likely to listen to you and, and to see what you do and, and be receptive because you are giving the humble message of God's grace to them. It's what Jesus did with the man who was suffering from dropsy. He saw him. And he healed him even though it cost Jesus something. It cost Jesus some shame. Uh, He put the person ahead of his status. He put the person ahead of his position. It ultimately cost him a great deal to take care of that man and to heal him. And in light of that, I ask you this. How do you view people? When you look at people, how do you see them? Are they an obstacle? Are they an opportunity? Are they just a pain in the rear? Or are they a pleasure? Are they created in the image of God or are they just created mess? How do we view people? Do we in humility consider others better than ourselves, Or do we in pride make sure that we try to keep people in their proper place, the place that we've designated for them? I think if we're honest, at least if I'm being honest with you, It depends on the person, and it depends on the day, right? If it's my wife or my family or, you know, a really close friend and they need something from me, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that I I help them and that I meet their needs. But if it's someone I don't know, right, if it's just someone, and I cross paths with them, and that person is in a hurry, but my day is going well, Right? If I have enough margin and if life is good and if I'm in a good place and I can be humble and I can put their needs ahead of mine. right? But if I'm in a hurry and if I'm running late and if I need things to be done and if I feel pressured and if I feel worried or, or whatever, then it's your turn to be humble and meet my needs. Anyone else relate to that? And it's hard. Because what would it really look like if we were to live our lives always being humble. 
What does it mean to take the lesser seed and let someone else have the seat of honor in our culture and in our society? When, when Luke wrote this gospel during the, the time of Jesus and in that region of the world, and even still today, this, uh, this concept of honor and shame, they're just still very important uh, to that culture. Uh, as we prepared to go to Egypt last year, uh, one of the things they told us that if someone was bothering you, one of the most effective things you could do is to make eye contact with them and say, what is your name? I want to go tell your mother what you're doing. Because that would have brought shame upon them and upon the whole family, and shame was to be avoided. In our culture, we don't really operate on the honor-shame concept. We operate on the right and wrong, and we deal with a healthy dose of guilt, don't we? The Western church as a whole has been really good at dishing out healthy, healthy servings of guilt. But that's not what we desire to do here at PCC. I don't see Jesus doing that in the Scriptures. Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, humility is exalted. So, how can you humble yourself? Um, I had a a sign out in the entryway as you came in this morning. I'm going to ask Ben, if he would, just to, to roll that up here. Um, I haven't read these, so this is, this is kind of fun for me. Now, the cool pastors that I know have you live tweeting in, and they take it on the fly. I'm just not that technologically advanced. Uh, other people here are, and maybe at some point we'll get there. But, but here's what we have today. Ben, thank you. The lovely Ben Horseman, ladies and gentlemen. So... How can you humble yourself? And I'm going to read this in case you can't see it over there. Respecting the opinions of others even when I think they're wrong. (laughs) Yeah, but what if they are wrong? Okay. Um, When you think someone is being mean or obstinate, you give them a chance to change again and again. Being humble. Cleaning the hair out of the bathtub drain. (laughs) Even though you didn't do it. Had to be a short-haired guy that said that right there, right? Um, appreciating and even acknowledging the gifts and talents of others. Yep. Be nice to people you don't like. <laughs> so there's a, there's a phrase you can say. God loves you, so I don't have to. Right? <laughs> it's not a good phrase. But anyway, um, how do we show humility? Offer to do what others view as menial tasks without trying to be seen. Yep. Turn off all the screens in your life, okay? Um, travel and see the world. Admit when you're wrong. Um, when you are upset at someone else, think of his or her perspective on the issue. Let others uh, complete their statement and don't try to one-up theirs. Don't think less of yourself, but think of yourself less. Thank you. C- C.S. Lewis is here? <laughs> that would be cool. Um, okay, Ben, would you, you know, kind of, thank you, Ben. Appreciate that. Thank you, everybody, for contributing to that. Um, Is that an easy question? I mean, I really don't think it is. I think it's something that we don't often think about being humble uh, before other people. I made my own list for me in case no one wrote anything down and just to kind of you know, peel back the layers on my life a little bit. Uh, for me to be humble and to think about others, here's some practical things that, that I feel like uh, would be applicable to me. I, I can let someone else in traffic instead of trying to get ahead of them. Let someone go ahead of me in line when I see that they're in a hurry. I can give up my seat on the train or the bus. I, I can put the needs of my wife and my kids ahead of myself. I can listen to my coworker or the person who just drops in and really listen 
I can see what needs to be done and then do it. Wash dishes, take out the trash, pick up stuff, hold the door, run errands. Can perform those simple acts of kindness, putting someone else ahead of myself. I can be more generous in giving, giving financially, giving of my time and my talents and my effort and my attention and my desire. And to do all things with humility as I consider others better than myself. And I can do all those things without seeking to be noticed, to recognize, or for man's applause. I've seen humility in action. Being a parent can be a very humble job, wiping noses, changing diapers, meeting the child's every need for years and years and years. And Okay, you get the point. A valedictorian who credits her success to her parents and her teachers It's a demonstration of humility. When a gifted photographer receives compliments to their work and they say thank you, but they always remark about how much fun it is to take the pictures for the people in the photo and how they make it so easy to take great pictures. When an athlete credits their success to teammates, even though they have great skill and and ability, they show humility. When someone is honored for a job well done and they accept it with great humility, but in doing so, they, they thank God and the people who helped them and who worked with them to contribute to accomplishing the task. When you volunteer to tutor kids, when you welcome someone, even a stranger, into your home, when you spend multiple nights in this auditorium on your hands and knees building a maze out of cardboard and packing tape with no desire for any type of recognition, and not even for your benefit because you can't fit through the maze anyway, (laughs) it's humility. When you Volunteer to serve and prepare communion and and receive the offering. You're just serving. You're just being humble. You help someone find a seat when you slide over so they can find a seat. Just simple things of of humility that, that we can do. As a believer, if you benefit from knowing God's grace and and how you've received that in your own life, we should be so generous in, in giving that grace in return. We need to understand that we give not because we want the gratitude, not because we want the recognition, but because God has given us so much. And that's the kind of attitude Jesus is calling for here in his kingdom. In his kingdom, Jesus desires humility. But do we want it? Do we want to be those things, these things? Do do we want to live our life that way? Third thing I want to suggest of what it means to live in the kingdom. We need to look up. We need to look at God. When when we truly keep ourselves in the proper perspective, it's much easier to be humble. James 4.14 reminds us, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The writer of Hebrews encourages us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And when we consider that Jesus, even though he was God, he came to earth as a baby and was born in the most humble environment of a stable. He was one of the poor ones. His birth was viewed as shameful. The king of kings was raised as a carpenter's son. And during his ministry, even though he created everything, he owned nothing. And didn't even have a home to live in. 
Jesus left his seat at the right hand of the Father and through his life and death and life again, we have the opportunity to look up to God and to cry out to him and to confess our sins to him and say we are sinners and we are in need of a Savior and we can invite him in to receive the sacrifice that he gave for us to receive his salvation, to receive that life and life to the full. Jesus received the name that is above all names because he was willing to die for you and for me. He was willing to humble himself. You see, I, as you read through the Scriptures, as you look at what Jesus taught and, and, and what he told us, the, the call for humility is obvious. It just is. And here at church, as a pastor, and if we're going to talk about pride and humility, what do you expect me to say? We should be humble, right? It's easy to preach. It's easy to encourage. It's easy to say. But do we want it? I mean, that's what we have to wrestle with is do we want it? Because actually developing a humble spirit and living in light of that, it's difficult because it goes against our tendency to desire the strokes of affirmation. It's difficult to seek the, to not be honored, right? To voluntarily give up your seat, to move down, to put others ahead of yourself, and to wait for God to exalt you at the proper time. But here is what is so amazing. And if you've tuned me out or heard nothing else, hear this. When it comes to Jesus... And when it comes to us, all seats are the same at the foot of the cross. They're all the exact same. We are all equal in sin. We are all equal in grace. There's a weapon that I believe we use a lot in our world today, in our society. You've got two of them. They're your elbows, right? We elbow our way to the top. We elbow our way to get to where we want to go, to, to put people in their proper spot, and it's, it's what we do. But there's another weapon that's less regarded, but I would argue is so much more powerful, and you have two of those as well, and they're your knees. Will you bow your knee? Will you bend your knee and, and be humble before God? Peter tells us that if we will humble ourselves and if we will bow before Him, We will receive grace and we will be lifted up. Jesus is teaching that in his kingdom, he desires humility. It's about humility. And we have to answer the question, do we want it? This morning, we want to encourage you to be humble before the Lord and to humble yourself before the Lord. And and as we move into a time of response, the band is going to come forward and they're going to play for us. And I'm going to ask the leadership team, if if you're here today, if you would make your way to the back or to the front to receive people who who might want to talk to you and and so we can have the opportunity to pray. Um, We want you to allow God to, to do business in your life, to respond to what God is doing in your life. And for you... That may mean that you need to humble yourself. You need to humble yourself before the Lord and to receive Him as your Savior for the first time. You've been living life your way, and it's time to humble yourself and live your life for the Lord. Maybe for you, you've done that, but you've gotten out of the practice of humbling yourself and and being obedient to God and and surrendering to Him, and, and you need to do that again. Maybe for you, it's just recognizing that God's in control and and you're not. We're going to invite you to humble yourself before the Lord. And as we do that this morning, we're going to enter into a time of of corporate prayer. 
And I'm going to ask you, if you would, if you're willing just to, to close your eyes and to bow your head, maybe you want to kneel. Maybe you want to stand, just take a posture of, of prayer and, and humility before God. And I want to guide us through just three things that I'm going to ask you to just spend a few moments praying about this morning. So let's pray together. The first one is this. Would you, would you take an honest look at yourself? And would you pray asking God to not only help you be humble, but to see your own life the way God sees you as a precious child of His who's loved beyond compare. Would you be willing to consider how you truly view other people? Would you take a moment to pray asking God for opportunities to help you demonstrate humility? Would you recognize your position before God? That you are a broken sinner who can be healed and redeemed through His blood and through His sacrifice.